Amen. When you are given time, like you were just given, to pray, to reflect, where does your mind go? Do you have a hard time sometimes focusing? All kinds of things that are sort of scattered there. It's like, oh, wow, we're going to slow down. We've got five minutes here that we're going to just pray and reflect. Or maybe you're able to engage quite quickly because you sense that the Lord is near in your life at all times. It's said that we sort of live our life between two poles. One is regretting the past. And the other is fretting about the future. How much of your time you just spent went to one of those two poles? And hopefully if your time spent went to one of those two poles and there was anxiety, you were taking that prayer to God. The prayer about something that needs to be healed from the past or maybe the present that's going on. Or something that maybe is causing you anxiety about the future. Today, tomorrow, this week, this year. We're told to bring those out of the dark and to bring them before the Lord on a a regular basis. And to offer our prayers and our petitions to Him with thanksgiving. And the peace of God through it can work. It transcends all understanding and it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You and I are spiritual beings having a human experience. We're not human beings trying to have a mere spiritual experience. And there's a difference when we view life from that perspective. That yes, we were created as human beings in the image of God, but in the image of God as we were created, we were created spiritual beings. So here's what's up. If you aren't dialed into a spiritual dimension of life, then you're not fully human. Because human beings are to be spiritually alive. And so when we call out to take our anxieties and our prayers from the past or the future to Him, we are tapping into something that's pretty cool. It's beyond what the mere natural world has to present to you. We're in this series on Epic. The kingdom, the gospel, and the community of the king. And I want you to hang with me this morning. We're actually going to be looking more intensely at some scripture today than normal from your your Bibles. But there is uh, this exhortation from Jesus in Matthew 6.34. He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You like that verse? So Jesus knew what? He knew our world. He would stand up and speak to people. In fact, Matthew 6 is part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So he's speaking to a mass of people on a hillside just up from the Sea of Galilee, with the Sea of Galilee most likely behind him, sort of serving as an echoing effect, an amplification effect. And he's teaching the masses. And if Jesus was to walk in here this morning physically and to teach you, he would be able to address your life by giving attention to something that you give attention to every single day of your life, which is worry. And he says, don't worry. And you're like, yeah, right. That's easy for you to say. You're God. I've got a lot of worries. 
I fret about the past. I, I have anxiety and regrets about the past, and I fret about the future. But this exhortation not to worry had a remedy. And the remedy is the verse right before it in 6.33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Jesus exhorts the masses, He would exhort us today, that we need to actively seek. And this isn't an, oh, 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 just if I stumble on it. No, it means get it together. What are you doing with your life? Where are you going this week? Are you headed down the path of seeking first the kingdom and His righteousness? Now, what does he mean all these other things will be added to you? Well, in this message that Jesus was giving in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, he starts to unfold various things that were very familiar to these people with everyday life. And so he exhorts them in 6 verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, in the culture of that day, they did not have a lot of means. I'm sure on that hillside there were some elites and some prestigious people here and there, some of the religious heat, that kind of thing. But in normal, they were just regular common folks, workers, trying to make a good wage. And you couldn't go out to Costco and get a bunch of food and put it in your freezer. I mean, you sort of, day by day, you, you were seeking for the, your food and prepping for your food and your clothes. You didn't have a lot of clothes, and so you wanted to keep the little moth you know, pe- people away from uh, causing problems with it. They, they were consumed with their day-to-day substance in ways that you and I are not. Now, you might think that you're consumed with your day-to-day substance, but not like they were. And so this exhortation to them was powerful. It's still powerful today. Why? Because we still worry about things like treasure. Do we have enough money? How many of you in your prayer you just had, your petition to the Lord had something to do with monetary issues in your life or someone else's life? It's front and center. It's there every day. But Jesus is exhorting them to not worry, to seek first the kingdom. And what's in his mind is that you guys are worrying an awful lot about wealth. And you can't take any of it with you. He goes on and says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, they weren't consumed with the kingdom of God as much as they were with their daily substance and their treasure and and having enough, the wealth, the adequacy. We wouldn't say that they were, you know, pursuing some type of extravagant living by any means. But he's saying, look where your worries are and what you're fretting about tomorrow. Do you not know where your treasure is? There's where your heart is at. How many of you have some stocks this morning? Like the stock market, right? Do you track those? Why do you track those? Because you put treasure in that stock. And so your thoughts, your mind, your heart goes to that stock. This is what he's saying. Wherever you put that treasure at in life, your heart's going to end up following. If you want to change some of your worries, change where you're putting your treasure. There's nothing wrong with acquiring wealth as God so blesses and having treasure, that kind of thing. But it's a subtle pull 
away from the things of what? The things of the kingdom, the things of God's righteousness. So Jesus, heads up everybody. I know you got a lot of worries going on. You're worried about substance and daily. Just don't worry about tomorrow. Every day has enough troubles of its own. But you need to seek first the kingdom of God. All right, Jesus. What else? He goes on in this same passage. and He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, Solomon, king of Israel in its golden era, in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Whenever you read scripture, it's always important, I think, to try to visualize it. I'm a very visual person. So if Jesus is sitting there or standing there on the hillside, Sea of Galilee in his background, beautiful view, he's exhorting them, you know, not to get consumed with treasure in the wrong direction and and then he talks about the worry and all the thing that's a part of worry. And he, he reaches down and he just picks up a, a bouquet of flowers, just grabs some wild flowers. And he says, look at this. Look what God's done here. That's more beautiful than Solomon and all of his regalia. And if God can do this, can he take care of your needs? How much? Is God going to take care of you? O oh, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or where shall we drink? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows where your prayer was going to go when we had prayer time. He knows where your mind's going to go when you leave here today. And he exhorts us. He exhorts us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about will be given to you. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Matthew 6, 19 through 34, you got a choice. You're going to spend your time in life thinking about wealth or worries or seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. And so I just want to petition to you today, maybe you're new, haven't been around church a while, that kind of thing, is like, uh, could it be that one of the solutions for your life, I mean, a major transformation transformation thing is, is to shift your focus from the things of the earth to the things of the spiritual realm and the kingdom of God and what he's doing on this earth. Could it be that you need to just shift your focus? Or, or maybe you've been walking with God for a number of years, you've got a relationship with Christ, but whatever is just sort of blown into your life, it's caused you to fall, and you're unstable, and, and you need to be exhorted to get back to what Jesus is telling the masses, the common, every ordinary person, that you've got to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then that, let me open up your schedule, your Google Calendar, let me open up your banking app and let me see where your energies are going. Are they going to the things of the kingdom and his righteousness or are they going to the things of just the mere earthly world? And so my exhortation to today is just consider shifting your focus. Why not? Give it a try. See what happens. But when you give it a try, 
Give it a try. I don't like people that sort of, well, let me toy a little bit with that faith. Or this. No, I, get all in for seeking. An intense aspiration, like, like training for a marathon or like, you know, equipping yourself through college to, to get a particular job or something. I mean, let it consume you that you're seeking the kingdom. Because you see this epic story that we're a part of, you will not enter into the epic story unless you have a determination to seek the kingdom of God. If you're just messing here or there, toying with thoughts of God, or, you know, I read a few verses or threw up a prayer, I just get consumed. I know it's true in my life. When I became consumed with seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, things began, the clutter began to clear, and I began to see the bigger story that God was unpacking and what he's doing in our world. And sometimes you and I just need some encouragement, and I hope you see this as encouragement this morning, to get it together. Just to get it together, seeking first the kingdom, and not worrying about everything. He will align stuff. Yes, there's responsibilities. You have work responsibilities. You do need to acquire wealth to be able to have sustenance in life. There are other things, family things you need to be responsible for. I understand that. But at the top of the agenda, every morning you wake up, is it seeking first the kingdom? Now, here's the challenge. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God, as we've mentioned the last few weeks, is the larger story. And the larger story, we're going to unpack that more today with some scripture here. But this epic that we're called into, this spiritual realm that has this earthly dimension in life for now, uh, that we are to be uh, attuned to what God's unpacking and what he's unfolding. And we said that the first words that Jesus ever said that were actually recorded on a piece of paper were in Mark's gospel. Mark was the first gospel written, and Mark, the first words that he records, Jesus speaking are these in Mark 1.15. Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news or the gospel. All right. Appreciate all that intro, Carrie. But what is the kingdom of God? Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God had various dimensions to it. And the kingdom of God has these various dimensions to it, but we need to be attuned to each of them. We said that there's a time-space kind of continuum that God created. And the kingdom of God is happening in the midst of this time-space continuum that we're a part of. God is infinite. He has always been. Eternity exists. Eternity wasn't created. It always has been. And God always has been. If God, who is the uncaused cause, created the universe, then by definition, you can't go back to a beginning with God just always been. Now, our finite little minds have a hard time understanding that. But God, in his sovereignty at his time, he decided to create. And so he created, and we are in the midst of this timeline continuum. But this timeline continuum concerning the kingdom of God and what he's doing, it has a present age and a future age or a coming age. 
And the first week in this series, we made mention of Titus chapter 2. It says, For the grace of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth with their wickedness, since what may be known has been made plain to them, for God has made it plain to them. Titus. Titus says that we are living in a present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who offered himself and redeemed us so that we could become a people of his very own. And so as you work through various parts of Scripture in various places, Titus was just one of them, and and Romans was the other one there, and some other kinds of aspects, you and I need to understand that we are between the times, the present age and the coming age. And between the times, we can designate, maybe it's that wide, maybe it's much smaller. But we have the opportunity to fill in this timeline this way. There was creation. There was the fall of mankind. Jesus Christ comes, bringing the coming age into the present age. The cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. He ascended back to heaven we looked at last week. He is coming again, the second coming of Christ. There's the millennium scripture talks about, which is a thousand-year reign. And then there's the release of other kinds of havoc and adversary at the end of that Satan. And then there's the creation of the new heaven and new earth after he's dealt with. If you unpack Scripture, you see this timeline unfolding, and it's placed in the middle of eternity as this time-space continuum on this planet called Earth. And you and I are in the middle of that. And God's working with His people. He started with the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the Old Testament. He picked and chose them to bless them so that they could be a blessing. Then we come to the New Testament with Jesus Christ, and the followers of Jesus Christ became the early church. And today we still live between the times as part of the church if we are a follower of Christ, not if we show up in a building. The true church is those who are followers of Christ. And then there's coming this future receiving of the bride of Christ to himself when Christ comes again. And the community of the king will live with the king eternally. But that community of the king begins today between the time. You ever gone into like a mall or something? And you sort of get lost where you're at, where the big stores are. Yesterday, I was up around Ontario Mills. I mean, that's sort of a big mall, you know, you get around. And they have these signs. And the sign has a little bit of the map. I like maps. I like to know where I'm at. I like to have the picture. And then what they do is they put, they put a big star or a big X with an arrow. And what does it say? You are here. Christians... Can I put an X up here for you? You are here. Okay? Your 70, 80 years that God may so bless you with is a small blip on a much bigger kingdom of God thing that's happening. You are here. And I don't know if the X is here, if it's here, we're back in here. God says it's not for us to know the times or the dates of the Lord's return. But we are living between the times, between the present age and the age to come. We get to experience this. The people of the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, they kept longing for the Messiah to come. Their problem was they thought when when the Messiah would come here that they would be all the way down here. There would be some earthly rain. They didn't understand there was a valley in between these mountain peaks and understanding, oh, oh, 
there's a church age. There's an age where God is calling out a people of his very own eager to do what is good. Now, the reason I say Christians get a clue, that's where you're at, is because we're very myopic with our faith. So many times we think, oh, Jesus came. He died for me. He rose from the grave. He can forgive my sins. I pray a prayer of repentance for Christ to come into my life. And that's great. That makes you a part of the community of the king. You're born again. But then we say, that's good. I'm just going to wait around until death, go to heaven, or when it's all over. Friends, Jesus didn't save you for a self-centered reason. He saved you to be a part of his bigger kingdom epic of what he's doing. And you need to know where you're at. And your friends need to know where we're at. Your enemies need to know where we're at. Jesus came preaching not salvation. He came preaching the kingdom of God. And salvation's required to be a part of the kingdom of God. And I find so many people who come to faith in Christ and they begin to move their years down. And maybe there's challenges. Maybe there's temptations, enticements to sin. Maybe difficulties, crisis happening and they're confused. They don't see where God's at in the picture. And so they get older. And as they get older, they're young adult years. And then they have kids and they move on down the line. They, they think that they experience the kingdom of God when really what they experienced was a point of salvation and yeah, they're saved and, and Jesus uh, forgave their sins, but they've not experienced the kingdom of God. To experience the kingdom of God and seek the kingdom of God is to be all in on the epic story and to participate in what he's doing in the epic story. And we have a message, friends, for our world today because our world today is hungry for meaning. It tries to squeeze meaning out of government and politics. Today kicks off Sunday on the NFL. Great diversion. But this life's not about sports. And this life is not about the next job or the next increase in paycheck. Your worries oftentimes come because you're too myopic. That means like this, blinders. And you don't see the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. See, when trials come, temptations come, difficulties come, you have to put it in the context of the bigger picture of the kingdom. The present age, the coming age, and then the reality that we are called into the kingdom to participate as the community of the king. So, if you're wondering where you're at, you can leave today. You can tell people, what would you do today? I went to church. And I saw a map that said, here you are. That's where I'm at. Five elements to the kingdom. We mentioned these last week. Scott McKnight, who's an author and professor at a seminary in Chicago area. Scott McKnight, he has become bothered by the use of the term kingdom. And he's referenced it in a book called Kingdom Conspiracy, that there's the skinny jean people and the pleated jeans, the pleated pant people. And he says the, the skinny jean people today use the word kingdom to talk about social justice. Oh, I'm a part of the kingdom and, and just trying to do good and, and uh, help out, make the wrongs right in our world. 
And then the pleated pants people are the people that uh, uh, refer to the kingdom as merely more on the salvation thing and that, uh, that God has come to bring salvation both here and now and then in the future. And so he took on uh, the opportunity to study the Old Testament. All the scripture in the Old Testament that referred to kingdom and the scripture in the Old Testament that referred to kingdom came up with five elements of what a kingdom is. And these were the five. We looked at them last week. I want to look at them a little bit more intently here this morning. There is a king, a ruler, a rule, a people, a law, and a land. And he came up with a definition, simply put, that a kingdom is a people ruled by a king. So uh, every kingdom that's mentioned in the Old Testament, and so if Jesus is showing up preaching to the people on the hillside, and he talks about, seek first the kingdom of God, they're going, kingdom, kingdom, what's kingdom? It's all this Old Testament history, this understanding of their history to that point, what they were thinking of with kingdom. And so you cannot have a kingdom without first beginning with a king, a lord, a sovereign. And there are all kinds of kingdoms that came and went. If you read through the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, right? And then Jesus says the kingdom is at hand. You're like, what? Something's changed on the timeline. There is a new kingdom. You know, a new sheriff is in town kind of idea. And so Jesus establishes this idea of a kingdom of God in their midst in a new and a fresh way. So there is a king. The second aspect, if you study the Old Testament, is that there is a rule or there's a reign. And the ruler reign has to do with the sovereign person putting into effect his will and what he wants to see established. And there's two things about the rule and the reign of God. He is redeeming and he is governing. So on that big timeline, kingdom of God, present age, coming age, what's the rule? What's the reign? He's redeeming, changing, transforming people's lives. And he is governing. You say, what? He's not governing very well because there's a pretty messed up world that I live in, not only here, but around the world. But his governing is establishing his reign in the hearts and the lives of people first. He is coming again someday to establish a physical reign in all the countries, which will be one in the new heaven and the new earth. So there's a king, there's a rule, and then you can't have a kingdom without a people. All right? A community of people. And so we're going to look at that, what it means for us to be the part of the community of the king. He's redeeming a group of people. He's governing a group of people. He's leading a group of people into beauty. And then there's a law, a will, an instruction. In the Old Testament, it was the Torah. Jesus teaching and preaching the Sermon on the Mount. That's classic instruction of the king teaching his will, his law to the people. All right, you can unpack all the Sermon on the Mount in, in the first part there of Matthew. And then the fifth thing is a land. And this one's often overlooked that the kingdom actually is always referring to a land. It's always referring to Israel. And so in the Old Testament about the kingdom of God, but then it's expanded. Israel's not done away with, but the idea of what Israel was, a place where the kingdom of God reigns and rules, is expanded. So it's a land, a place, it's a realm. So those five things. If I was to ask you today, what are the kingdoms that you know of in current culture, what would you say? You would say, well, there's uh, the United Kingdom. 
That's right. There's king, queen, whatever. And you could sort of associate some of this with them and the, you know, the whole, uh, uh, all the United Kingdom as it spread around the world a number of years ago and is still in several places. Uh, we live in Southern California, so you could say, well, there's the magic kingdom. <laughs> well, think about it. Who's the king of the magic kingdom? Mickey Mouse is the king, right? And what do you do at the Magic Kingdom? Do you get in fights with other people, like happened to some family here recently and they got kicked out? No. In the Magic Kingdom, there's a rule of reign and you need to be happy. You need to have fun. You need to enjoy your family, right? Right? And the people, who are the people? The people that play those high prices to walk in through the gates. That's who they are. There's a people. And some people are fanatics about Disney. Uh, your worship leader is one of them. He really likes Disney. All right? I have a nephew that is very much engaged in Disney World. And he's now an employee there. And uh, he will probably have a career there because he's on that trajectory. A will, a law, an instruction. You know, there's the guidelines. This is what you establish. You do not cut in line. You can get a fast pass, but you can't go any other place. Come on. That's not the way you do it in the Magic Kingdom. Okay. And the land, the place. Well, there's the physical property. And oh, now there's Star Wars land. They expanded it, right? That's about the closest we get sometimes to understanding kingdom is the Magic Kingdom. But friends, on that timeline of God, there is a king. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Yahweh in the Old Testament. God, then he was revealed through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The king is Jesus. And his rule and reign is being established in the hearts and the lives of people. He is redeeming and changing them and governing them, realigning them. Sometimes I cringe. I literally cringe when I hear things on the news about people who are, excuse me, not in the kingdom of God, but are outside the kingdom of God in their perspective on morality and what's right and wrong. Because I'm like, how can you go there? But there's not a redeeming, governing thing happening in their hearts. So why should I expect them to go there? And the people, the community, you're with a bunch of people that are most likely in the kingdom of God here this morning. I imagine the majority of us have become Christ followers. And so we have this place, and this place is not only with the people, it's just the people around the world who are Jesus followers, following King Jesus. And then there's the law, the will, the instruction book that's written right here that we need to dive into on a regular basis. And we're going to spend a little bit more time here in just a second. The book, the law, the instructions for the kingdom of God are here. And it's for our life, our peace, not to kill us, not to put a straitjacket on us. And then the law and the pla- I mean the land and the place and the realm is physically here. Yeah, sometimes a church, you can see it as a physical place where the kingdom seeks to operate. Maybe your family. But ultimately, one day, God will redeem this world. And in the new heaven and the new earth, this is your destiny. You are here at the X. If you are a Christ follower in the new world, as you move through this timeline, you will experience the physical, visible sight of King Jesus reigning and ruling over a new heaven and a new earth where peace abounds, where evil is gone, where Satan and all of his, his, uh, 
evilness has been diminished. God has wiped every tear from our eye. We will participate with other people that we've known from generations past, even all the way back into Scripture, generations future, even those who maybe have passed away from us, even miscarriages. You have children that God created, and they're now in heaven. We will be a part of a community of the King, and we will dwell in a land, and it's not fairy tale. It's not fairy tale. Wake up! This is what the kingdom of God is. And so you and I, we have a responsibility to not get consumed with the worries and the wealth of this world, but to become consumed with the kingdom of God and allow the kingdom of God to reign within us. And we need to get consumed with each of these aspects of the kingdom. I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz here. You ready? We're going to look at some scripture. We're going to look at scripture and the different ways that the word kingdom is used. And I want you to pick which one of the five, king, rule, people, law, or land, this reference is to scripture. Because what happens going from the Old Testament to the New Testament and Jesus Christ declaring the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news, is he's getting them to open up to the different aspects of his kingdom. The eternal kingdom. And so number one, verse scripture, is Matthew 12, 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the context is Jesus delivered somebody of some demons, and all the religious people, the religious leaders, got bothered by it and said that he was of Beelzebub. And he says, what? And so he says to them, It is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Which one of those five is he referencing more specifically in this? Not to the exclusion of all the others, but which one is he referencing more? Take a vote. His rule. His rule. He's redeeming and he's governing. And Jesus frees a man of a demonic spirit and says, you're out of here. You no longer can have control over this person. It's him exercising his reign and his rule in that moment. The king is operating with his reign and rule. So, did you get that one? All right, here's the next one. Luke 17, verse 20, verse 21. Luke 17, verse 20, verse 21. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Which one of those five is prominently in focus here? Which one? It's number one. The kingdom of God is in your midst is referring to the king. What? Get out. He says, I'm here. This was blasphemous to them. What do you mean the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God embodied in the king. I am now amongst you. I am in your midst. I'm talking to you. As surely as if I'm standing up here on this stage in a physical presence, he was in a physical presence with them, and he was saying, I am in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And so he was instructing them about the king aspect of the kingdom of God. Next one. Romans 14, 17, and 18. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Which one? Want to give a gander guess? Number four. It's the prominent idea that he has a laws and instructions. Now, here's where sort of the skinny jean people sometimes are like, well, hey, that's what the kingdom of God is. Peace and joy and justice and righteousness. And that's true. That's part of the kingdom of God, but not to the exemption of the others. And so Jesus, in this particular passage, is exhorting them because there's a bunch of legalistic rules, do's and don'ts what you need to eat, what you need to stay away from, a bunch of rules. But he comes in and says there is this greater kingdom rule, the kingdom rule of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval, that there is a a culture, a context of what the kingdom ends up bringing. And so when we work to help about the kingdom of God in our world, These are the ethics, if you will, that are a part of the kingdom that follow. Next one, Matthew 6, 9 and 10. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which one of those five? King, rule, people, law, land. This is a pretty easy one. If you don't get this one, you do fail the course earth, land, heaven. That's not land. It's a realm. It's a dimension. I really believe that heaven is not somewhere way out there in some cosmic outer space. It's actually another kind of dimension. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he would appear to people, and then he would like just disappear in their midst and go, where'd he go? Well, he was back and forth in the realm, the spiritual realm, I believe. And so the new heaven and the new earth may not be like we think, oh, some heaven way out there. No. So when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, let's talk about my rule and my reign coming here on earth, that people would follow the king, that people would be redeemed and people would follow underneath my governorship, that people would be able to, to come around and enjoy all the beauty of the kingdom of God here and now on this earth as it is in heaven eternally. And then the last one is this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, Revelation 1, 5 and 6, it starts the revelation off, and has made us to be a kingdom and a priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. I mean, don't you love it when they do the modelable choice and then you have like five and then there's five blanks because if you've done it right, you get to the last one and you should be able to get it. So which one is this articulating? people people he has made us to be a kingdom so kingdom people i walk you through those five passages of scripture because if you take this book jesus came and he taught about the kingdom of god and as he teaches about the kingdom of god and if you're seeking first the kingdom of god you need to hold these five in tension and in wholeness All five of these elements are critical. But I want to highlight as we close this last one, people. I've summed my definition up this way. The kingdom of God is the realm 
where a redeemed people ruled by King Jesus forward his reign and his will. Can you say that with me? Ready? The kingdom of God. The re- I want to go back to Matthew 6:33 now. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. But each day will have enough troubles of its own. Can I put in the people of God, the community, the king in there? Because if you're going to seek the kingdom of God, if you're going to seek the kingdom of God, then you have to seek to be a part of the community of the king. Do not worry about tomorrow, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Be a part of the community of the king, and all these things will be given to you as well. So I hope you're with me with that little transition I want to make, because as I close, I just want to exhort us with a question. Can you really seek the kingdom first without seeking to be actively involved in the community of the king. If I was to take your schedules, how much of it is consumed with gaining substance in life? Probably a lot. But how much of it is consumed with being a part of the community of the king and pressing forward God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Worshiping the king like we spent time doing here this morning. Sing the hallelujahs. Shout it out. You're here. God's pleased that you've come to worship him today. The community of the king is seeking to be redeemed and changed. The community of the king is seeking to live out the kingdom ethic, to love others, to bring about peace and justice and mercy in our world. But can't we do that by ourselves? Sure, you can do that by yourself. But there's something powerful when Jesus says, that we're called to do this together. He calls out a people of his very own in this present age, eager to do what is good. You and I need to participate with the community of the king on a regular basis. And if I can add something right here, and and I don't know, it came to me, so I put it down on this slide. The question, can you really seek the kingdom first without seeking to be actively involved in the community of the king? It's, It's a question to answer. And then... My thought is, if not, then are you not just really playing church? You see, you have to organize your life in such a way that you're involved with other people. You are encouraged to be a part of a life group. This little circle up idea, and this is a four-week thing that some of the groups are maybe going to walk through. You can't grow spiritually without being in relationship with others. And I don't think you can seek the kingdom of God unless you are in relationship with others. Yes, it takes time. It takes commitment. I'm pleased to tell you this day that many of you filled out that insert that's in your program. And many of you are going to start a journey with a new life group. And I've had a number of people say, hey, I'm in for the 10-week deal and rooted which is a really great, intense discipleship, kingdom of God community kind of experience. 
I want you to reconsider your schedule in life. Are you participating in the community of the King? And it's not just about circling up to learn more Bible. It's about us going out and doing the service and the mission of God, taking his ethic, his rule, his reign, his joy, his hope to other people. That's why we call them missional communities. A missional community life group that's about doing the purposes of God. And friends, I know your schedules are full. Mine's full. We're all full. But if our X is that we're here in this kingdom of God in between the times we can't take anything with us, God's given us these years to influence and impact others for the king, then we need to organize our life to be engaged with the community of the king and not just to play church. That phrase, play church, is what I told the elders of this church when they called me to come lead this church six years ago. It was six years ago this September that I said yes to this congregation. And my wife and I, we moved from Indiana to come here. But I told them, I'm not coming to play church. I'm coming to expand the kingdom of God through his people. Will you consider being a part of the community of the king? Jesus called his disciples together, the twelve He sent them out with power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He gave this community of the king a mission, and we're going to look at that a little bit more next week. A mission to proclaim the kingdom, but also to demonstrate the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the realm where a redeemed people, ruled by King Jesus, forward his reign and will. And if you want to be a part of that kingdom, you need to be born again, as it says in John 3. The last few weeks, we've had the prayer area open here, many people being prayed for. I'm mindful today that maybe when you had your time of prayer this morning, you did get consumed with worries, regretting the past, maybe fretting the future. Maybe you need to pray with someone. I encourage you as we close with this song to to consider just letting somebody pray over you or pray with your concern. The prayer team will meet you there. If you want to be born again and to follow Jesus Christ this morning. There'll be somebody that can pray with you to receive Christ. And then that little insert on life groups and rooted, maybe you can take that step and put that in the offering basket when it comes by and says, I'm in. I want to take more specific, definitive steps in being a part of the community of the King. There's another insert in there, by the way, that has some blanks on it. That's a way to be in the kingdom as well. So ushers, I want you to prepare to come forward. Joe's going to close us with a song, and I want us to really consider what this fall will mean for us as a people as we forward the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, and we do it together as a community of the King. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that through your divine intervention into this world, you have changed it forever. And you will change it completely someday when your kingdom culminates at your second coming. Lord, in these days between the time, may we dial in and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and be consumed with that as you provide for all of our needs. Lord, I love these people. Melissa and I, we have come. We enjoy the community of the King here in Temecula Valley. But Lord, there are more people in this valley that need to come in to your kingdom. May we be about that this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.